When was the last time you had an orgasm? Okay, but when was the last time you had an orgasm that was so incredible it healed your sexuality? Lots of us approach masturbation as just a thing to do to get us off and move on with our day. But what if you could touch yourself to facilitate sexual liberation? With chakras, you can. I've been using my chakras for years, and what I love about it is that chakras not only gets me off, but helps me create an intentional self-pleasure practice that connects me to my body and my inner wisdom. Chakras is a woman-owned sexual wellness company that makes beautiful, handcrafted pleasure tools from pure crystal. These crystals are a natural, earth-made material that come with their own unique properties to help awaken higher levels of consciousness, help you work through emotional imbalances, and heal deep core wounding. And the orgasms are incredible. If you want to bring sensual vibes and much-needed healing to your sexuality, go to shockrubs.com and use my code LIBERATION to get 15% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S dot com, promo code LIBERATION for 15% off your purchase. Center your pleasure and heal your sexuality with chakras, and may your orgasms be plentiful. Hey everyone, I'm Evian Whitney, and this is The Sexually Liberated Woman. I'm feeling so good this week, and that's partially due to the fact that I just ended my period like 24 hours ago, (laughs) and also because I am riding the buzz of some amazing things that have been happening to me lately. I just got back from New York where I spoke about sex and intimacy with the girl mob and then my conversation about sexual wellness and sexual self-care with Black Girl and Ohm came out a few days later, which you've got to check that one out because it'll literally change your life. I know that that sounds hyperbolic, but this conversation will change your life. I will put the link to that Black Girl and Ohm podcast episode in the show notes. And then I was featured on Esquire, where I spoke openly about what I was taught in sex education alongside some amazing and rad queer and trans folks of color, which I'll also put a link to so you can check that out. Actually, one of the things I mentioned in that feature was how in my abstinence-only sex education, and I'm putting massive air quotes around that, uh, one of the major things missing within that sex education was consent, what it is, what it looks like, and how it's important that my humanity is considered within every sexual experience I have. Consent was never discussed within my sexual education. I even said within the interview that I wish someone would have sat me down and talked to me about what healthy sexual dynamics looked like, because I think if they had, I probably would have broken up with my sexually abusive ex-boyfriend a long ass time ago. (laughs) 
But anyway, I've been thinking a lot about consent these days as I've been trying to bring more of it into all of my relationships, both the sexual kind and the platonic kind. And since so much of my headspace is being occupied right now around consent and the ways I can feel safer and also give safety to my lovers in my sexual relationships, and also because I've been wanting to talk about this on The Sexually Liberated Woman for a while now, I asked the incredible Jacqueline Friedman to come on and give us a lesson on what she calls affirmative consent. You might be familiar with Jacqueline's work. She co-wrote the iconic anthology, Yes Means Yes, with Jessica Valenti, which is all about what sexual power and freedom looks like outside of rape culture. She wrote another book that she penned herself called What You Really, Really Want, (laughs) which book title goals, right? And she also has a podcast called Unscrewed, which is one of my faves, and I highly recommend you add it to your listen list. Jacqueline's work has been paramount to my own sexual liberation and healing, and her work has been an excellent resource that I share with all of my clients who are also wanting education about consent and validation about their experiences as survivors. Actually, when I first started this podcast way, way back in the day, I wrote this list in one of my journals of all of the dream guests I wanted to have on the show, and Jacqueline was at the very top of that list. So believe me when I tell you that it was a serious honor and a literal dream come true to chat with her in real time and to hear her wisdom. There are so many gems in this episode, so many gems, so I'm going to stop talking (laughs) and let you dig in. Actually, I'd recommend that you bookmark this episode because the things that we unpack here should be listened to again and again and should be introduced into any conversation you are having with your lovers or your friends about consent. All right, enough of me and my jabbering. (laughs) I am seriously going to stop talking now and let you enjoy this episode. I hope you love it as much as I do. Jacqueline, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being on The Sexually Liberated Woman. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So before we get started, I just want to say that Yes Means Yes has been a amazing book and resource for me personally and also for my clients who have experienced any kind of sexual trauma. And I also know that Yes Means Yes recently turned 10 years old, which is wild to me. Uh, And I was listening to your podcast, Unscrewed, and you were talking to Jessica Valenti about this milestone of reaching 10 years and kind of walking down memory lane of how this book even came to be and things like that. And I wanted to ask you, did you have any idea that this book would become the the icon that it is today? <laughs> oh my God. No, no, not at all. And totally the opposite. Like we really quite explicitly thought that it was going to be trying to push the discourse on the left a little bit and that we hoped it would sort of slowly trickle into the culture that we just, we felt like what we were saying honestly was pretty bold and radical for the time. Yeah. And so we thought nobody puts together a feminist anthology about sexual violence because they think it's going to be a bestseller. I guess I'll just say that. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
especially not in 2008. We were not doing that. Yeah. yeah. So it was, I was the most surprised out of anybody, honestly. And I, I told this story on, on my show, but I'll tell you for your, your listeners, like it was named in, in late 2009 uh, to Publishers Weekly, which is sort of like the industry mag of the publishing business to their top 100 books of the year list, which is an incredible, insane honor. Yeah. When I saw the notification on my phone that actually was about that, uh, you know, when you get a notification, you only see like a few of the words in the article. You don't see the whole thing. And I just saw enough to see that it was about the PW top 100 books list. And I literally thought, and this was after the book had been out for almost a year and had, had really made an impact. But I still like, I was like, oh, that's so nice. Like PW came out with their list and somebody else must have like been inspired that by that to make their own list of their top 100 books of the year. And we are clearly on that nice person's list. I wonder who it is. Mm. Like, it did not occur to me that we were on actual Publishers Weekly's list. And it, I stared at it for a good long while before I convinced myself that that was what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I can't even I mean, I can't imagine what that must have been like to be like, wow, to watch this, this book like explode and reach like critical mass. I mean, like the fact that you guys have laws named after this book. It's wild. It's wonderful. I and mean, it one of the main lessons it's taught me is a to not underestimate your own vision like you don't get to be the judge of the value of the thing you have to say in the world mm. you know if I had gotten to be the person who determined how important what I had to say was in this book it would have been I would have like we, we would have had a minor little feminist anthology that a few people outside feminist circles read right but because I don't get to decide that it really made this enormous impact and it's really taught me to not underestimate my own vision yeah Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so glad that you didn't because I mean, like I said, this book is is so incredible. It's been an amazing resource to me, and it's been an amazing resource to the clients that I work with. I'm every time I hear something like that, it just makes me feel so fulfilled. I think is the right word. Like I feel like I'm I'm earning my rent on the planet. Okay, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I'm, um, like I'm yeah, that feels amazing to me. Like that feels amazing like honestly there's a jewish proverb that says basically like if you change one life you change the world and i really feel like that about every single one individual story i hear from like one person like makes me feel like i've changed the world yeah and and you most certainly have Okay, so I want to talk about uh, consent. It's something that I think about a lot, both personally and professionally. I've been having a lot of conversations about consent recently within my own sex life and also as I've been talking to clients of mine who want to have better talks about sex and sexuality within their relationships. And before I get into this, I want to know, like, where, where did you first learn about consent? I learned about the idea of affirmative consent, which we were then calling enthusiastic consent. And we'll talk about that language shift if you want. Yeah, I would love to hear that. I learned about it. The first time I seriously learned about it was in the comment sections of like the feminist blogs I was reading in like 2006, 2007. There were enormous, like robust conversations about different ethics of sexuality and consent and 
it was it was a really wonderful. I mean, look, the feminist blogosphere was also a hot nightmare in many ways, but it was a really, really robust conversation that was going on in multiple directions and anybody could jump in. And it really was wonderful. Now, I, like a lot of people who were old enough to be aware then, had certainly heard the idea of affirmative consent introduced in the early 90s when students at Antioch tried to make it policy. And as far as I'm aware, they're the folks who really invented or innovated the idea, although it's possible that history goes back further and I'm just not aware of it. But when they introduced it at Antioch, it was a it became a national joke. You know, it was literally parodied on SNL. And it was this idea that like, oh, if you want to touch my left breast, you have to get that notarized, you know, like a notary public. And it it was it was mocked as sort of unrealistic and unworkable and prudish and, you know, all of these things and kind of went back underground for all of the 90s. When I first encountered serious conversations about it in the sort of mid 2000s. I'd heard the idea before, but I'd literally never thought deeply about it because I, I, it had been treated like a joke and I hadn't, I just hadn't engaged with it very deeply. Okay. So what is the difference then between affirmative consent and enthusiastic consent? Because I'm more familiar with enthusiastic consent. And yeah, why, why did the language change? Affirmative consent is the legalistic frame of enthusiastic consent. Because so, you can't, measure enthusiasm in the law appropriately, right? Like You can't, you, the law right. can't really make a decision about how enthusiastic somebody is. They can shift the burden from sort of negative consent, like it's on you to say no, to affirmative consent, which is, did you hear yes? Mm. It's the much more legalistic term. And it's become a lot more popular in discourse as enthusiastic consent has become codified both in law and also in the code of conduct on thousands and thousands of college campuses, I would imagine at this point. And that's great. Like, I'm super excited that there are laws and also, you know, codes of conduct and, and that it's getting codified. But it also tends to get flattened in the translation. Mm -hmm. You know, and the thing that I'm thinking about a lot on this 10 year anniversary is, is, you know, yes means yes was really a robust conversation about shifting the ethics of sex, right? The moral philosophy of sex to one that assumes that everyone is equally deserving of pleasure and sovereignty uh, and that we're all have a, an active responsibility to take care of each other on a basic level if we're interacting sexually, mm -hmm. um, that we all have an, actually an affirmative obligation toward each other. And when enthusiastic consent gets codified into affirmative consent, it becomes like a little bit more like a checkbox, which mm. consent should never be. Like a little bit more like make sure you get consent, like instead of like, well, what does it mean that women feel less comfortable saying yes than no? And how do we shift that? And how do we shift from an acquisitional mindset that a lot of men have about sex to one where it's a interactive, you know, mutual exchange, right? Like, what does it mean that women of color are almost never afforded the concept of innocence, right? <laughs> when they, even when they're children, um, you know, and how right. does that impact your relationship to saying yes and no to different kinds of things around sex? You know, like all of that contextual stuff 
gets sort of falls out of the conversation, which was a huge part of our anthology. It falls out of the conversation when it gets sort of boiled down to like, are you living to the letter of the law or not, right? The spirit of the law gets mm. lost. And, and that's kind of the thing that I'm thinking a lot about these days is like, how do we get back? You know, I feel like consent has become a little bit a victim of its own success. And how do we get back to that really robust, challenging discourse that really, if we take it truly seriously, requires social transformation? Mm. Yeah, one of the things that you have have said before is this notion of affirmative consent being a sort of moral philosophy of sex. And I wonder like what that looks like in practice. Right. So affirmative consent as a moral philosophy means that we are each sovereign over our own bodies and we are all equal to each other and equally deserving of pleasure and also the respect of our own boundaries. Mm. And that sounds very simple, but in practice, it impacts literally everything, right? Like it impacts our cultural definitions of masculinity and our cultural concept of masculinity, which require power over instead of power with, you know, it impacts our ideas of what it means to be a woman and, and sort of saying like, it does not reflect on our moral character if we like what literally whatever kind of sex we like, right? That we are, that sovereignty for women doesn't just mean you have to not be violated, right? That our pleasure is a right. Mm. Um, it, it means a lot of really upsetting stuff. It means that YouTube shouldn't be able to make a profit off of upskirt photos, right? You know, it means a lot of like big social upheaval things too. Um, but at the root, it, it really is a call to humanize our sexual interactions. So it's a call for us to see each other as co-equal participants when we're interacting sexually so that it's a mutual engagement and a, a creative collaboration as opposed to how so much sex gets framed as sort of the who's giving it up and who's getting some as, you know, as a commodity exchange. Right, right. Yeah, that's something that I've been playing around with a lot in my relationship. My husband and I have been together for over 12 years. And I think initially when I was thinking about consent within sexual relationships, I was of the belief that it's like a one and done kind of thing. Like, you know, you you have like I give you consent when we first meet and when we first have our sexual experience together. And that consent is like totally uh, valid <laughs> uh, for, for the end of time until someone speaks up about it. And I've been really thinking about what it would look like to bring consent as a constant conversation within my relationship, not just on my side of things, because I have been sexually traumatized, but also on his side yeah. of things to make sure that he feels that he is uh, being thought of, that he is being respected, that his wants, needs and desires are being met and that his pleasure is also being taken to, into consideration. And I love that model because it just feels way more holistic, more, more feasible. And I, I love having consent being more of a conversation rather than like, okay, this is a contractual agreement that we come back to once a year or once every five years or whatever. And I've been thinking about that in terms of like consent apps and how oh. like, you know, this, it was, it was like this idea that came up. Like I, I you're, you're making noises. And so I want to know like where, 
<laughs> where are those noises coming from? How are you feeling about it? I hate consent apps so much. I hate them yeah, so yeah. much. They're so dangerous. And honestly, the only good they're ever going to do is for rapists, right? So I can 100% mm. imagine a situation in which two people record their consent in a consent app and then go on to interact sexually and somebody says stop no or just checks out or whatever and somebody else proceeds and just plows over that other person's humanity and then they go to a court or a you know judicial process on campus and they say here is the consent app that my partner said yes so it was clearly consensual mm. you cannot consent to sex in a checkbox you it's a profound misunderstanding of how consent works real consent means you have to pay attention to your partner the whole time you're interacting sexually the whole time you have to yes. show up on a yes. basic human level. I'm not talking about marital commitment, although if you want to have, you know, people, I'm all for people having sex in the, you know, while married, but also even if it's a one night stand, right? Like it's the same rules for everybody. You have to show up and pay attention to the person you're interacting with. And if you can't tell if they're into it, you have to ask, you have to check in. And a consent app doesn't understand any of that and, in fact, propagates the idea that consent is a thing that you can acquire and have done with instead of it being part – an intrinsic part of the sexual interaction. Yes. Consent is not something you can get out of the way. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. When I saw when I saw these apps rolling out, I was like, this seems like like I get maybe where they're trying to go with it. But this doesn't seem like the way to do it. <laughs> what even I don't mean to get metaphysical on you, but like, what is sex? Like, what are we consenting to? Have we discussed what positions yeah. have we discussed? What kind of birth right. control have we discussed for how long have we discussed? What happens if I get a leg cramp? Have we discussed what kind of language you like to use in bed and I like? There are a million things. You know, sex isn't like one thing. And so saying I consent right. to have sex with someone is genuinely meaningless. Right. Yeah. Because like, what does it mean? Like there's so right. many different definition definitions of sex. There's so many different sex acts that you can do. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And even if I do consent to doing a particular sex act, like... What if it turns out you're bad at it or I suddenly feel dry or like, you know, bored or like it doesn't mean I can never want to stop doing that. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, because sex takes place throughout the time space continuum. Right. Like. Um, right. And so any concept of consent that has to do with like getting it handled and then having sex is not just wrong, but profoundly dangerous. Mm, yes. Okay. So I want to know how can we begin to bring more, uh, more consent into our sexual relationships? Like, what does that look like? I mean, obviously I have lots of ideas, but like, I want to hear yeah. what, what you think. I mean, there are a number of things. The first thing that we have to do, and I think the hardest thing, honestly, is start with ourselves, right? So if we're going to start having sex where we're paying attention to what our partner wants and needs, and they're paying attention to what we want and need, sort of ongoing throughout the interaction, we are at some point going to need to say, I want this and I don't want that. More of this and mm. less of that. Slightly to the left, please, right? Like harder or softer, right? I think for women especially, 
we are raised not to think about that. And if we do have opinions about what we want sexually, we certainly raise not to speak up about them. Yeah, for yeah. real reasons, right? Be, having to do with shame and fear of being blamed if someone violates us. And, you know, like there are real punishments for that for a lot of women. That's not doesn't come from nowhere. But we have to really start by unpacking what it is that we want for ourselves sexually and not in a way that we're going to get some grand unified answer and have that be done. I really think that the answer in terms of what we want, you know, can shift from stage of life to stage of life but also like minute to minute depending on the interaction right totally totally Um, and depending on the person too (laughs) yeah completely but like getting fluent with what we like and desire what we don't like and don't want and getting to know how to know that is some of the most important work that we can do that's what i wrote Mm. my second book what you really really want is for is actually to help women do that work of sort of unpacking and and self-discovery. That's a that's a big piece of it because hopefully we're going to have partners who are saying, are you into this, right? I really want to do X to you. Like, how do you feel about that? And we want to feel free to have answers and express them. And and that brings me to the second thing that we need to do is, is we need to learn to communicate with our sex partners about sex, which sounds ridiculous, but We have this weird taboo in the U.S., especially where we're supposed to be thinking and talking about sex all the time, except for with the people that we're fucking. Yes. Oh, my God. Speak (laughs) on it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is deranged if you think about it for a minute, right? It's just totally nuts. Like, But there's this idea, this totally wrong idea that talking about sex makes it unsexy or like ruins the mood. Yes. I actually want to talk about that for a second because it's, it's one thing I hear this a lot within the conversations I have with my friends, my clients, even this conversation that I had with my partner recently, where we were talking about consent and I had just recently gotten triggered, re-triggered by the sex that we were having. And in that moment, I started thinking like, what, what could have been some ways that I could have prevented that where, you know, it, it wasn't as big of a deal as it ended up being because for me, rather than listening to my body and myself, I ended up continuing to have sex anyway. And then it just got into this huge emotional mess. And so I, I did this, this um, sort of inner reflection of like, okay, what could I, I have done in that moment? How could I have spoken up about my own needs in that moment so that my partner would know, could get those cues from me that I could speak up in that way so that it didn't have to get so bad. Mm -hmm. And so basically we had this, this sit down conversation and it was a really beautiful conversation. And I ended up asking him like, Hey, so I think that we need to have certain uh, checkpoints within our sexual interactions. So whenever um, I'm okay with making out, I don't ever really feel triggered by making out. But anytime you start touching me um, under my clothes, I'm going to need you to ask me, are you okay with this? Is this good with you? Do you want this? As a way to one, put me back into my body Mm -hmm. and two, have, have you affirm to me and have me 
ask my own self, do I want this? Okay, yes, it's a yes. And then I can keep moving forward. And so we had this really beautiful conversation and it was feeling really like amazing. And then um, we started having sex and I noticed after a few times of having sex, I'm like, huh, this is interesting. I haven't noticed that you have been checking in. Like, you know, this is something that I, I want to do and it's something that's going to make me feel more comfortable with you. Why haven't you been checking in? And his response was, it just feels like it takes us both out of the moment. It takes me out of the moment because I'm in the flow with you. I just want to basically, I mean, he wasn't saying this, but in, in not so many words, he was saying like, I just, I want to have sex with you. Yeah. And like, if I have to take us a, a pause and think about the phrasing of that question, because the phrasing of that question was really important and think about the checkpoints and where he's touching me. He's like, it's just a lot of thinking. And so, and I, and I hear that a lot from people who are like, oh, consent, it's like really great and everything, but like, it just really kills the vibe. And I'm like, it doesn't have to though. Like not in my opinion. In comparison to what? I mean, it sounds like it killed the vibe way more when you didn't have space to speak up and you got really triggered. Exactly. That really killed the fucking vibe. Trauma is what really kills the fucking vibe. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. I always say like, as opposed to what, right. Like as opposed to just plowing ahead and possibly really hurting your partner, like that's how you kill the goddamn vibe. Uh, So Mm. I, I want to erase the idea that there's some option in which we cannot talk with our partners about sex while we're having sex and not kill the vibe. Because that's not an option. That's mm. already what's happening. And many of us are having our vibes killed by trauma. That construction, it really erases the vibe killing factor of sexual trauma, which is mostly, which is disproportionately borne by women. Right. And it also makes me think that like once the vibe is quote unquote killed, it's not like it can never come back. I mean, you can bring the vibe back. <laughs> I think we all need to loosen up about sex and not make it quite so precious. Yes. We need to realize that we could say something wrong and you could both laugh and be like, wow, that was clunky. <laughs> and then like go back to like maybe take a step back, start making out again and like pick it up where you left off. That's way less vibe killing than getting triggered right totally Um, laughing during sex is sort of inherently ridiculous i I think laughing during sex is fun and and like reminds you that you're interacting with a human like i feel like we all think we have to get into this performance mindset when when we get sexy with somebody that we're like playing the sexy version of ourselves you know and we don't want to break character but it's actually hotter I think if you can have sex just like as yourself Mm. and not the sort of like hyper sexy version of yourself I mean I'm not I'm all for role playing as long as that's negotiated and consensual I'm not talking about actual role playing but the idea that like once like the juices start flowing you have to be like super serious sex people I think really like it's a lot of actual pressure that we don't have to be carrying. But the other thing I'd say is like, it's really easy to eroticize boundary checks, right? So instead of saying, are you okay with this? He could say, I really want to take your shirt off so I can see your breasts or whatever language might be good for him, right? Like in a sexy voice, like, Mm -hmm. and like looking you in the eye and waiting for your response to that, like, that's not vibe killing. That's like him expressing his desire for you and then right. making space for you to decide how you want to respond right. to it. 
my advice always is like drop your voice an octave and just express a desire without <laughs> express a desire without acting on it right yes a, a, a really easy boundary check is, uh, uh, in terms of checking in with somebody else like if you want to do something and you don't know if your partner wants to go along is literally like drop your voice an octave and express your desire without acting on it and wait mm. for a response it's not rocket science yeah. yeah the thing i say to people who are not convinced is like the phone sex industry exists for a reason and that reason it is is that it can be very sexy to talk about it's, sex. such, it's such a good reminder <laughs> and incorporating dirty talk into your boundary checks is i think can be a really fun approach yeah 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 that was one of the reasons why i told him that i i wanted the phrasing to be very specific to like and i know in my initial example i said like is this okay with you which actually wasn't the phrasing that i wanted to use it was more like do you want this but i like that question of do you want this because there is that like there is something very sexy and sensual about that question but it also is a legitimate question that i can check in yeah. with my own body and be like do i want this oh yes i do actually yes and then i can say yes in that moment and like how empowering that is for me to be asked that question as a way to check in with my body and then give that response of yes because so often in my sexual experiences I wasn't allowed to have a voice like I wasn't it wasn't collaborative it was just like okay I'm sort of like a thing that you are using to fill your sexual fantasies and desires into versus like oh this is a person and I want to ask this person if she is okay okay with this and also give her permission to say yes, which I mean, I'm, I'm all about that. Like that to me feels so much better than, um, yeah, than, than other ways of asking, you know? I think as women, a lot of us have been taught that our value lies in being desired yes. specifically by men, as opposed to by expressing and pursuing our own desires. Mm. You know, and there's a big difference. It, I used to, when I was young, I, I confused those two things. And I, f I felt like being desired was the best possible thing, right? And I, I didn't think about what I wanted. I just wanted to be desired. And I still, honestly, if we're being real world here, like, I still feel like that because it's sort of how my brain got wired around this stuff, which makes me kind of subby. And that is fine. Um, <laughs> same. Right? Like you can express that yes. in a consensual way, right? Like you can, I always say, and I talk about this a little in what you really want, like the point of unpacking like how you were raised and, and what your hidden assumptions are about your sexuality and your sexual desire isn't to get to some point where you're like a blank slate pre-influence because that's impossible, right? None of us can know who would we would be if we'd been raised with a different set of influences. The point is to like become aware of what all those influences are so that we can kind of tune ourselves. I like to think about like a stereo equalizer, which I don't even know if everybody knows what that looks like anymore because I'm old. <laughs> but like, you know, like maybe you want to like bump up the bass and like turn down, you know what I mean? Yeah, and like, yeah. If you know what those thought patterns are and what those hidden assumptions are, where they come from, it's easier to figure out how to play with them in a way that feels good to you as opposed to be sort of controlled by them. Mm, yes. Oh, so much wisdom. I love this. I mean, that's that's literally why I like, you know, if, when I'm sitting with somebody for them to say as a as a boundary check, like, I want to do X, right? Like expressing their desire to do something with me is like really hot for me because 
I it's just down deep in my monkey brain, like the value of being desired, yes. right? Which I have mixed feelings about, but there it is, and I might as well have fun with it. The Sexually Liberated Woman celebrates sexual liberation. And since you're listening to this podcast, I think it's pretty safe for me to assume that you want to be about this life. Maybe you're already on your sexual liberation journey and you're starting to explore your erotic self bit by bit. Or maybe you're one of the many, many people out there who isn't at all comfortable with their sexuality, but wants to be. No matter where you are on your journey, I would love the opportunity to help you step out of shame and into sexual empowerment via one-on-one mentoring, fierce guidance, and resources that support your healing. If you're ready to be sexually free, go to evianwhitney.com shop and start your sexual liberation journey today. That's E-V-Y-A-N-W-H-I-T-N-E-Y dot com slash shop to begin your sexual awakening. I'll see you there. One aspect of this that I'm wondering about is because, I mean, we're talking about saying yes, which I love. But what about that part where someone is asking you, like, I'll I'll just use the example of me and my partner. Like if he were to ask me, do you want this? And I check in with my body and my body actually says no, but I don't feel okay with saying no, not either because like my partner has, hasn't made me feel comfortable to say no, or because I feel the guilt or shame attached with me letting him down. Like I'm wondering... I'm wondering how we can create more environments for us to say no as well. Like what needs to happen within myself and also what needs to happen between me and my partner for him to create a safe space for me to say no. I mean, I think that a few things need to happen. One is perhaps you and your partner can explore how to recover from that moment, right? So if he says, can I something specific and you say, no like is it possible are you going to still have sex like are there other things you want to do together and if there are a wonderful way for you to do that which may make you feel less guilty is to say i don't want to do that i want to do this other thing Mm -hmm. like like a counter offer (laughs) yeah so like I want to keep my shirt on, but I really want to keep making out with you mm-hmm. so that you, there's a rejection, but there's an affirmation. Mm. It may be that you want to stop altogether and that is fine. But in the case where the desire isn't to stop all sen- sexual interaction, but is just a no to that particular thing, that can be a really great way to frame it that'll make both of you, I think, a little more comfortable. Because re- also real talk, like men are not taught how to be resilient in the face of sexual rejection. Oh, no, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) And that no really may feel like you are saying no to his masculinity. I don't know your husband. I don't mean to cast aspersions on him. But like, but we can um, use him as an example. I mean, he's not like that at all. But like, I love that we're sort of using me as as a, a living example of this right now. So one of the things you want to do is like, 
maybe talk in advance with like your husband about how it will feel to, to hear no and what are ways that you can stay on the same team right after mm. even after you say no to a play for something sexual and also let him know that it's hard for you to say no even though you know in your brain you can trust him right <laughs> like that that you know have a real explicit talk with him if you haven't about how it may be that even if you don't want to do something you're you're going to struggle to say no and and that's why affirmative consent is so important right that it gets us right around back around to enthusiastic consent which is he's not listening just for you to say no and otherwise he has license to proceed if he doesn't see if he doesn't think that you're enthusiastic about what he has proposed it doesn't happen that's enthusiastic mm. consent, right? So if he sees you hesitate and struggle, like that's an answer. Right. Right? The, the two of you don't do anything together that you're not both mutually actually actively into, not just not objecting to. Right, right. And, and that's the reason that is so important is because women are so raised to both be alienated from our own desires and boundaries to not even know what they are and also to be afraid to say no and to take care of everybody's feelings before our own especially men's mm. and so that's part of why enthusiastic consent is so important is to make space for how hard it can be to say no sometimes and that we deserve partners who are paying attention and only want to proceed if we're excited about something not just whether or not we're objecting right right yes oh so good so so good okay this is kind of a weird question but I know that our media is not very good about portraying consent and I wonder if there has ever been a show or a movie that has showed affirmative consent play out that you were really impressed with like oh wow this is actually the way that it's done what a great example I'm super obsessed with the Netflix series Sex Education. Have you watched it? Oh, my God. Everyone keeps talking to me about this. I need to watch it. And I'm trying to remember if there's an explicit scene about affirmative. I honestly think they talk about consent, like, just so casually and perfectly throughout the show that I can't think of a specific scene. You know, when somebody, my partner actually suggested we watch it because he's a big Gillian Anderson fan from back in her X-Files days. I love her. Girl crush forever. Oh, my God. She is the hottest <laughs> she has ever been in this. It is. It's intense. So he explained the premise to me, which is for folks who don't know, like, she plays a sex therapist and the sort of protagonist of the show, there's two protagonists really, is her son who's like 16 and super awkward and sexually in inexperienced and kind of has been messed up by being raised by two sex therapists like parents who maybe have not got the best boundaries in the world, which you, you, you learn <laughs> as the show goes on. Yes. But he has absorbed so much just from being around them that like he and this sort of like outsidery loner girl who is amazing her name is Maeve and is like my my hero now figures out that he actually is pretty good at giving sex advice and she basically turns him mm. into a high school sex therapist like she needs money she's like she's on her own and is supporting herself and she's like always looking for a hustle and so she basically like finds kids who need sex advice and like charges them and then they get time with this kid who has no license i mean it's not a good idea <laughs> then the show doesn't think yeah. it's a good idea either but it's hilarious and actually very poignant in a lot of places but um when i when i heard that description i was like 
okay, that's all in the execution, right? Like whether I'm going to love or hate this show is all in what they think is good sex advice and what they think is bad sex advice, right? And I literally at some point during, I don't know, episode five, like some of the ways I literally turned to my partner. I was like, did I have a stroke and and write this show and forgot about it? (laughs) Like it's so on point. Um, I just love it so much. And so that's if you're looking for content that really gets sexual ethics right from consent on out, it's sex education on Netflix. Amazing. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why I've I haven't been watching it is because I've been really concerned that maybe I mean, because you're so right, like, it, sure, sex education, but right, exactly. from whose perspective, from what point of view? And so I've been a little like, oh, I don't know if I want to go into this. But knowing that you gave it a rave review, I, I think I might give that a watch this weekend. I will say there's one plot line that sort of takes place in the last episode that I have an issue with that I'm not going to spoil you on, but I don't want you to be watching it and being like, Jacqueline thought this was great. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to hold you, hold you You'll to that. You'll know what it is when you see it. There's one hotline that I have issues with, but, the, but otherwise it is like, per, it's so perfect. I love it so much. It's so mm. heartfelt. And it gets mm. into class and race. And, you know, he has a the kid has a gay best friend who you think is going to be like the gay best friend sidekick. But he gets his own internal life and his own hero's journey. Like and he's also an immigrant and they deal with his immigrant family's values. And like, it's so interesting and good. Oh, amazing. OK, yeah, I'm going to watch yeah. that with me and my partner. That sounds amazing. My last question is, what's one thing you wish everyone knew about consent? That it makes sex better. It's not an obstacle to sex, but actually is going to make you a better lover and also make you better in touch with what you need and want and is intrinsically going to make you have better sex. Yeah. I mean, with with that, like, why wouldn't you want to adopt consent and to... You know, like if it's going to make you a better lover, if it's going to make you have better sex, like why not practice affirmative consent? Exactly. There are not a lot of things you can do to like make the world better that also make your sex life better. So you should take the ones that arrive. True. Oh, my God. That is such a good point. Like for anyone who is like interested in like buy one, get one free. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. I mean, that is pretty rad. Jacqueline, thank you so much for coming onto the show, giving us so much wisdom and also giving me so many things to think about within my own relationship to consent and sexuality. I really appreciate the work that you do. Oh, well, you too. This was a genuine pleasure. So I'm really appreciating the work that you're doing. And I loved having this conversation. Yay, me too. Okay, so where can people find you? Uh, I want to make sure that you also plug your amazing podcast because I listen to it and I constantly tell everyone to listen to it too. So yes, tell us everything. Yay! Uh, You can listen to my podcast, which is called Unscrewed, wherever podcasts are available. If there's a place you like to listen to your podcasts and you can't find it there, let me know and I'll make sure it gets there. Uh, But you should definitely subscribe. If you like this show, you'll probably like my show. It's slightly more meta- So it's a lot more about the politics and the social conditions in which we're having sex. But we get down dirty sometimes, too. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I love your podcast. Like I know that a lot of the things that I talk about here are kind of like story-based, like listening to people's stories and hearing about people's experiences. But like your podcast is such an amazing resource for like the nitty gritty things we should know and conversations that we all should be having about sex and sexuality. Awesome. And so you can find me on Twitter at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. I'm on Instagram at Jacqueline Fable. Um, on my website is JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. And you can find back episodes of the podcast there. You can find things I've written and stuff about my books and if I ever update it, you can find my upcoming events. I'm really behind in listing them um, and all of those <laughs> things. I should also mention I have a new book coming out in the fall. Oh, you do? Uh, I was just about to ask. What is this yes. one about? This is a new anthology that I'm doing with Jessica Valenti, who I made Yes Means Yes with. We decided for the 10-year anniversary, not just to put out the anniversary edition, which is wonderful and has a new introduction, but to make a whole brand new anthology, which we're calling Believe Me, How Trusting Women Can Change the World. And it's all about mm. how the world would literally be different if we just believed women about the violence we experience. Oh, my gosh. Some amazing amazing essays, some amazing contributors. We should be announcing the contributor list in the next couple of weeks. So it's definitely a good time to tune into my socials. I can't say enough good stuff about the essays in this collection. It, some of them will just blow your head off. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I um, I can't wait. So it's coming out in the fall. Do you have like a particular date yet? October 22nd is our release date. Oh, nice. Oh my God. That's amazing. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited for you too. Are you guys going to do any celebration for the 10th year anniversary of Yes Means Yes? Um, Like a physical event? Yeah, like not necessarily for like the public, but I'm just wondering how you are celebrating the fact that like oh. you reached such a milestone. I'm so busy right now. <laughs> Same, like yeah. I should have a really good answer to that. And the answer is like I spent the weekend doing my taxes. So no, um, I mean, that's totally fine. <laughs> I'm sure at some point we will like have dinner and a drink and toast each other. But we don't have any big plans, unfortunately. Well, no worries. I just thought that I would ask and yeah, maybe uh, encourage you to stick a candle and something yeah. <laughs> as a way to celebrate. Thank you. You need to stop and celebrate. It's not often that you, it's not often that a book gets a 10th anniversary edition. I'll just say no that. No kidding. Yeah, uh, no kidding. So, it's big. Yeah, it does feel big. Well, thank you so much for doing the work that you do and for chatting with us today. I'm looking forward to staying connected. Yeah, you too. This podcast is produced, edited, and designed by me, Evian Whitney. Find me on my website, evianwhitney.com, and on Instagram at evian.whitney to keep up with me and my work. The Sexually Liberated Woman is made possible with editing help by Samantha Riddell and community support from each one of my very special patrons on Patreon. I literally couldn't do this without you. If you want to help sustain the sexually liberated woman, go to patreon.com slash SLW podcast and become a patron. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple podcasts. It helps others find the show. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you in the next episode.